Um, our first reading comes from Proverbs, chapter 30, verses 1 to 10, and this can be found on page 534 of the Pew Bibles. So Proverbs, chapter 30, 1 to 10. The words of Agur, son of Jekeh, an oracle. Thus says the man, I am weary, O God, I am weary, O God, how can I prevail? Surely I am too stupid to be human. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the holy ones. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in the hollow of the hand? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is the person's name? And what is the name of the person's child? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or else he will rebuke you, and you will be found a liar. Two things I ask of you. Do not deny them to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that I need, or I shall be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I shall be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Do not slander a servant to a master, or the servant will curse you and you will be held guilty. The second reading comes from Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 22. And this can be found on page, uh, page 800 in your Bible. So Matthew 19, six, starting from verse 16. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honour your father and mother also. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all these, and what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Getting into shape, trying to kind of interrogate various aspects of our culture and see what the gospel might have to say to us as we seek to live in them. Uh, we're going to think tonight about uh, consumerism uh, essentially in four parts. Uh, firstly, the idea that what consumerism in the end is all about is the idea that I am what I buy. Uh, secondly, we're going to think about uh, advertising and how advertising uh, shapes us in consumer culture. Uh, thirdly, we're going to think about uh, the gospel's response to that, which actually it turns out is to help us to embrace lack in our lives, to have less rather than more. Uh, and finally, to think about how it is that we actually find blessing through embracing lack in that way. So we're going to get straight into it and talk a little bit about what consumerism is. Uh, the basic definition that we're working with as we talk about consumerism tonight is uh, a culture in which individuals are defined by their purchases. Uh, you might say, I shop, therefore I am. Uh, or perhaps better, you might say, I am what I buy. Uh, in the terms that we used last week to speak about individualism, uh, we might say, I have no story except for the story that I purchase. Uh, consumerism goes hand in hand with individualism. Uh, in an individualistic culture, I show that I'm the master of my own life, that I'm the teller of my own story uh, by making decisions for myself without having to give regard to the decisions of other people around me, the constraints of being in community. And in a consumerist culture, the decisions that we make about our consumption become a key form of decision-making, uh, perhaps the primary way that we express who we are as an individual. Uh, it's important to note uh, here at the outset that consumerism is not the same thing as materialism. 
Uh, you hear a lot about materialism in our world in all kinds of ways, but that's not really what we're talking about tonight. Uh, materialism is an unhealthy attachment to stuff. Uh, materialists are people who hoard things, who can't let go of the different, the different things that they've got in their lives. Uh, they even hoard uh, money because money is kind of, you can you know, exchange it for other things. So that's kind of all right to hoard for a materialist as well. Uh, but consumers aren't hoarders like this. Uh, consumers aren't people who are characterised by saving money. Instead, consumers are people who spend it. Uh, while materialism is an unhealthy attachment to things, consumerism is an unhealthy detachment from things. Uh, we buy plenty of material stuff in a consumer culture, but instead of hoarding it, uh, as soon as we get bored or we change our minds or a better or newer version comes along, we chuck it away and buy the new one instead. And the reason we do this, the reason that we're uh, unattached, that we're detached from the value of things, is because in a consumer culture, unlike a materialistic one, uh, objects in and of themselves don't actually have a value. Uh, objects have value in consumer culture as signs of something else. We use the objects that we buy to signal something to ourselves and one another about who we are. Uh, perfect example, um, my watch. This is a horse watch. Nod your head if you, if you know horse brand. Yeah, excellent. I'm seeing lots of heads. It's good. Horse is like this. This is a beautiful watch. It really, really is. It's simple. It's easy to read. It's got a nice large face. Um, it looks pretty special as well. It's actually a beautiful object in and of itself, something to be admired and appreciated for the craftsmanship as much as for anything else. But in consumer culture, uh, the real value of this watch doesn't lie in the product itself. It lies in what it signals to the rest of you, which is that I'm a pretty classy guy, uh, that I have a sense of style and taste, that I'm not too overboard, but you know, I'm, I'm with it enough to know some decent brands. Ben Kelly's nodding very enthusiastically. That's kind, thank you. Uh, you see, consumerism is about our identity. Consumerism turns objects into products, into tools that we can purchase in order to signal something about ourselves to the rest of the world. Uh, consumer culture encourages us to create an identity for ourselves by buying things, to create a story for ourselves through our purchases. Uh, the same dynamic is at, uh, that's at work with me and my beautiful watch uh, is at work in the things that we fill our homes with. Uh, in consumer culture, our furniture is an opportunity for self-expression. Uh, when you walk through the different sections of IKEA and see the different kind of styles and versions of the different rooms of your home you could have, you're not actually just buying cheap but functional furniture. You're shopping for different identities, for different stories that you might be able to tell about who you are. You kind of go, I'm the kind of person who looks like that. That's me. That's what you do when you walk around IKEA. This is why there are so many fights in IKEA because couples have different ideas about what their life should be like, and it all comes out. It's happened to me. It's not, it's not a myth. It happens. Uh, I asked around this afternoon for um, some examples uh, of uh, different products or brands that people might feel really attached to. Um, so here are some examples. Uh, these, are, these are the extra slides that I added in before, which I think are there. Oh, sorry, they're in the wrong order. That's my bad. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, sorry, sorry. Ah, here we go. Oh, no. Yeah, that was it. Go back, go back. And back to the first one. That's it. Oh, here we go. Well, that'll do. Um, Apple versus Samsung. This is pretty much the, um, the, the way that our world is, uh, is divided between people who like Apple and people who like Samsung. Uh, flick back to the other ones that are there too. Um, Nike, and particularly Nike products from a particular runner who I'd never heard of, but there you go. That's pretty impressive, yeah. Um, before that, there was one before that, I think, as well. Oh, yeah, this is me, actually. This is mine. This is something I'm bidding on uh, on eBay at the moment, um, a limited edition 12-inch uh, vinyl U2 single that was just released for Record Store Day. Very important to get my hands on if I can. I'm winning at the moment, so there you go. Um, uh, let's flick through again. There, I think there was one more there. I don't really... There was one more at the end that I don't really understand, actually. Yeah, Kmart. Someone said to me, Kmart. Anything Kmart. Yeah, I'm getting nods, yeah. She's not here, Katie's not here to kind of be uh, embarrassed when I say that. Apparently Katie's brand is Kmart, so there you go, that's good. Um, it works though with other things as well. There's uh, one more slide after that. Sorry. <laughs> this is what happens when I add slides right near the end, like just before I actually start doing the sermon, you know. Yeah, 
See, the thing in consumer culture is it's not just actually products you can buy off the shelf that work for us, right? Uh, it's experiences that we can treat as consumer objects as well. Uh, you can see one here. Um, travel, this is just, you know, search for the travel hashtag on Instagram. Uh, travel can be a consumer experience for us. And of course, we know that it's a consumer experience, not just enjoying it for the sake of itself, because you post all your photos of it on Instagram, right? And go, hey, look at me, look at where I am. This is, you know, something cool about who I am. Uh, you see, in our culture, even the fundamental uh, human activities, like actually sharing food with one another, like actually just doing what you need to do to live, become uh, ways in which we can show something about uh, ourselves to others. Um, in my case, the really big one actually is books. Uh, I buy a lot of books. There it is. That's my library at home. Um, it's not. I wish it was. How cool is our library? Anyway. Uh, I buy a lot of books, I love reading, uh, but here's the real kind of, this is the exposing moment. Uh, if you ask me to estimate the percentage of the books that I've bought that I've actually read, I reckon probably somewhere between 22 and 24%. I've skimmed through most of them, so it's not like I haven't picked them up or anything, but I've read a, a, an astonishingly, astonishingly small percentage of the books that I've actually bought. So the question, of course, is why do I buy so many books if I'm not actually going to read them? Uh, and the answer, of course, is because I want people to see my bookshelves and to think that I'm a well-read, interesting, intellectual kind of guy. Uh, some of you have been to my home, you've seen my bookshelves, you know that that's true about me. Because you've seen my bookshelves. Yeah. Uh, you see, I buy books because of the identity that comes with those purchases. Because having those books allows me to signal something to others about who I am. Uh, I buy books to create a story about myself. Uh, that's what consumer culture does. It encourages us and trains us to express our identity through what we consume. Uh, it's the idea that I am what I buy. Uh, consumer culture is uh, really hard for us to get out of because it presents us with such an incredible opportunity. Uh, because we can buy a new product and use it to shape our identity, you can actually change who you are. When you feel like something's missing from your life, like you're not who uh, you want to be or who you should be, uh, that you're not who others expect you to be, consumer culture offers you a quick and easy fix. Just buy a product that signals something different. When you feel a lack in your life, really, of any kind, consumerism offers a remedy. You can fill that lack with different products. You can change your story whenever you want to. Uh, that's why shopping can be so exciting, whether it's in person or online. When you go shopping and you walk past the shop fronts or you kind of skim through the search results on whichever shopping website you're on, uh, you're not just looking at products to buy, you're looking at possible identities. When you go shopping in person or online, you get to answer the question, who am I? Uh, that's why we get such a thrill when we make a purchase. Uh, and I'm not just, that's not just me who gets a thrill when I make a purchase. It's actually scientifically proven now to be true of most of us. There is research that has been done that says that we get a rush of adrenaline when we hand over the cash or tap the card or click purchase on the website. But this choice, while thrilling, can also be, of course, completely overwhelming. There is so much to choose from. There are so many people I could be as I look through all these different products. And of course, what if I get the wrong product? Uh, I can buy a pair of tan chinos and a nice t-shirt and all of a sudden reach peak inner westy dad. Uh, but what if I choose the wrong chinos, the wrong t-shirt? What will the other parents think if I don't buy the most expensive, safest pram on the market? What will my mates think if I don't have the right brand of shoes or if I haven't watched The Good Place or if I haven't seen that play or read that book or gone, to the, uh, gone with that particular trend? And perhaps even worse, what if I don't know who I want to be? What if I look at all of these options and my response is simply to go, I don't know who I am anymore. What is, where does that leave me? The freedom of choice that we love so much in consumer culture can also be a deep source of anxiety for us. And not only that, but of course, the thrill of the purchase wears out. Fashions change. The conventional wisdom about which product is the best on the market shifts. A newer or shinier, better version of whatever it is that you're uh, wanting to buy shows up. So we throw our products out, we buy something new, and then we have that lack again that we need to fill, fill with something else. That's what it's like to live in consumer culture. Our problem isn't that we're materialists, we're not too attached to things. Rather, as consumers, we're too detached from things. Things don't have a value in and of themselves. Their value is what they contribute to our sense of identity, to the story that we're creating for ourselves. One of the effects of this is that the stories behind things don't matter to us either. 
Uh, we have a story, each of us has a story, and so does every object that we buy. Uh, and those stories of those objects also intersect with the stories of other people. Uh, you see, for every product, uh, you'll find that uh, some were made uh, here in Australia, some were made overseas, some were made by skilled, well-paid artisans, others were made by uh, poorly paid factory workers in unhealthy conditions. Some will last a lifetime, others will fall apart just in time for next season. In, consu in consumer culture, these stories don't matter. The stories of objects and the stories of the other people which those objects represent don't matter at all. All that matters is the story that I choose for myself as I make each purchase. Now, all of this, I think, raises another question that's worth asking, which is, how did, how did we get here? How is it that we became like this as a culture? How is it that you and I find it so hard to think about our life in any way other than uh, this kind of method of designing a life for ourselves? And the answer, really, in short, is advertising. Uh, advertising is how consumer culture shapes you. Uh, peer pressure, of course, is a large part of this culture. Uh, there's a social pressures around us to be a certain way, to look a certain way, to have certain things, to travel to certain places, to go to certain cafes. But it's advertising that actually suggests to us and to our peers what it is that we might attach ourselves to. Uh, advertising in this way is actually a form of training. We keep going back for another tap of the credit card because consumer culture actively trains us to believe that we can fulfil our needs and desires through what we buy. And the major way that consumer culture trains us is through advertising. Uh, now, advertising is really all about two things. On the one hand, it's about seduction, and on the other hand, it's about misdirection. Uh, firstly, advertising paints a picture of a certain kind of life or a certain kind of person. You'll see most TV ads have some kind of setting which shows you a group of people, what their life is like together, and you watch and you start to go, oh, yeah, that, I'd, I'd like it if my life looked a little bit like that. And then what ads do is that they take that picture of a life that you might want, of a good that you might want, and associates it with a product. Uh, sometimes the product isn't even visible in the ad. Sometimes all you get is a shot of the, the logo of the brand at the end to kind of go, that kind of life, that goes with this brand, with this logo. This is what we call misdirection. Uh, what we want is the kind of life that we see in the ad presented, but where the ad lands as a solution to that desire is with a product. Uh, advertising seduces us with a picture of a life we'd like to have and then points us to a product as the means of fulfilling it. It doesn't matter that buying the product won't actually do it for you. It plants that idea in your head already and makes you already much more likely to go out and, uh, and buy that particular brand or that particular product. You see, advertising is encouraging us to create a story for ourselves through buying the right things. And it doesn't always just play on our selfishness. Uh, you see, advertising is clever enough that it can misdirect your good desires as well as your bad ones. Uh, there's plenty of ads uh, that play on our bad desires. You might think of those uh, ridiculous deodorant ads marketed at the lust of young men, where, you know, there's the kind of the guy who's not that good looking and he can't get the girls even to look at him, and then all of a sudden he sprays on some links and all the women in the world kind of come and dance around him, you know, this kind of ridiculous uh, picture that's never going to come true, but it plays on that desire, right? But advertising can play on the best in our nature too. And so I want to show you an ad that I think is just hands down brilliant. This is a brilliant ad. Uh, which I think does this very well, playing on some really good desires that humans have. Let's take a look. Brilliant. That is just a class piece of advertising, I reckon. Uh, now, for many of you in the room, uh, this is not your life stage yet. You don't have kids, you don't have um, grandkids, but you get that desire, right? The desire to care for your family, uh, the desire to care not only for your children, but your grandchildren, to care perhaps for your godchildren, for other children uh, who are connected to you in your life. What a beautiful thing. 
What a genuinely God-honoring, wonderful desire to have. And how do you do it? How can you care for your family in that way? Buy a scratchy. Get a lotto ticket. When you get to the end of the ad, it's almost like it would be irresponsible not to go out right now and buy a lotto ticket because who doesn't want that for their family, right? It's a brilliant piece of advertising. And you see what it's doing? It's a seduction on the one hand. It's showing you a, a kind of life that you would like to live to be able to be that generous, to provide for your family in that way. It's a beautiful thing. You'd be, you'd be crazy not to want it. And then it does its misdirection and says, here's the solution to that. Here's the way to do that, is to go out and win, and win the lotto. Uh, you see, advertising can play on uh, the best of our instincts as well as uh, the worst. Uh, there are good God-honouring desires, but they're being channelled into consumption. Uh, the way to be the kind of person who will have that kind of life is to buy that kind of product. Now, I can hear uh, some of you thinking in the room tonight. I literally can hear it. I can hear the thoughts coming out of your head right now. Uh, you're thinking, I'm not that dumb. I'm too smart for that. It doesn't work on me, that kind of advertising. Uh, well, I can tell you that you're wrong about that. And the reason that I know that you're wrong is that corporations keep paying for ads. Uh, corporations are all about profit and they don't keep paying for things that don't work. Uh, and in Australia, uh, corporations, get this, corporations spend more than $10 billion a year on advertising. Uh, in Australia, in 2013, more money was spent than in any other nation per capita on advertising. $582. That's how much the corporations love you. They love you enough to spend $582 on you to try and convince you to buy their products. Uh, the corporations and the advertisers, they know how to seduce us and how to misdirect us, and they've got huge resources in order to do it. And they wouldn't keep doing it if it wasn't working. Uh, now, it's important to say that advertising isn't all bad. Good products can be marketed to the right people for good reasons. It isn't bad to go and work for an advertising firm. But we need to be aware of how it is that advertising shapes us, and often it isn't shaping us for the good. Consumer culture, of course, is uh, part of the, uh, uh, is the everyday life side of uh, a global economic system we're part of, uh, a system in which economic growth is primarily achieved through the consumption of goods and services. Uh, but this culture that we inhabit isn't only economic, it's actually spiritual. It's a religious culture. It's connected to deep questions about meeting human needs and desires, about filling up what it is that we feel we're lacking. Uh, Canadian theologian Jamie Smith argues that consumerism is actually the dominant form of spirituality in the Western world. Uh, that the images of uh, advertisements that press in upon us on billboards, on TV, between posts on Instagram and Facebook, that all of this is training us to think about our lives, our needs and our desires in terms of the products they offer. Uh, in this world, uh, Smith writes, uh, stories and images point out to us our blotches and blemishes. But they're not pessimistic. To the contrary, they hold out a sort of redemption in the goods and services that the market provides. And in consumer culture, that's a form of redemption open not just to the super rich, actually, but to everyone. There's a solution for all your blotches and blemishes at whatever price point works for you, though, of course, you get what, you're pay what you pay for. Uh, advertising, really, in consumer culture is uh, kind of like evangelism. Uh, advertisers go, here's the good news, you can be free from blemishes, and here's how to do it, buy this product. And the more we're surrounded by it, the harder it is to see any other story that might give shape to your life, any other redemption that might fill your needs and desires than the one the advertisers are offering. Uh, social theorist by the name of Matthew Crawford notes how the inundation of advertising in our culture actually just makes it hard to stop and think that there's so much noise, so much going on with the images and the sounds around us that advertising actually makes it hard to pay attention to much else at all. Uh, here's what he has to say. He writes that attention is a resource. Uh, a person only has so much of it, and yet we've auctioned off more and more of our public space to private commercial interests with their constant demands on us to look at the products on display or simply absorb some bit of corporate messaging. He continues... Uh, lately, our self-appointed disruptors have opened up a new frontier of capitalism, complete, uh, complete with its own frontier ethic, to boldly dig up and monetize every bit of private headspace by appropriating our collective attention. Uh, in the process, we've sacrificed silence, the condition of not being addressed. And just as clean air makes it possible to breathe, silence makes it possible to think. 
Uh, do you see what he's saying? That there's so much going on in the world around us, so many images that are put before us, so many logos that are in our minds and in our fields of vision, so many jingles and, uh, and taglines in our ears, that it's hard actually to ever sit still and not be kind of bombarded by messages about what, what it is that you should buy. Uh, our world is not a silent world. It's loud with the voices of advertisers spruiking different ways to redeem ourselves. And there's a real danger here for Christians, actually, because it turns out silence is really important. Silence is important because, uh, unlike uh, Crawford's desire not to be addressed, we actually need silence in order to be addressed by the one in whom redemption really can be found. We need silence so that we can be still and know God. We need space from our consumer culture in order to be addressed by God, to hear what it is that he has to say to us and to respond to it. So in this kind of culture where it's really hard to pay attention to anything other than what's flashing up on our screens in front of us, what we see on the bus as we drive past the storefronts, in this kind of culture, how does the gospel help us to live in a way that actually gives space, a way that actually gives us the ability to pay attention to God and to his story? Well, the short answer is that the gospel helps us to embrace lack. It helps us to make space. It helps us to get used to not having things instead of having things. We see something of this dynamic in the story that we had read earlier of the meeting between a rich young man and Jesus. Uh, This story helps us to unpack the spiritual dynamic at the heart of consumer culture. Uh, It opens up the way that looking for the redemption of our needs and desires in products and creating a story for ourselves by purchasing things can make it hard for us to pay attention to the story that God is telling Now, the young man uh, who meets Jesus seems to come with noble intentions. Uh, He comes seeking eternal life. He comes seeking the life of the kingdom of God, a life that's connected to God's work of remaking his world to free it from evil and suffering and sin. Uh, How do I get that kind of life, he says to Jesus. Uh, And the first reply Jesus makes is a, a fairly straightforward Jewish one. Keep the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Which ones in particular, he asked. Uh, So Jesus says, uh, all right, uh, here are are some of them that, you know, we'll just give you a couple off the list. Uh, He says, great, I've done all those. Uh, Perhaps with the uh, arrogance of youth at that point, yeah, I've kept those ones, no worries, that's fine. Uh, And whether or not that's true that he's really kept those uh, laws from his heart, that he's really lived that kind of exemplary life, uh, his answer opens up the way uh, for the conversation to get really to the heart of the matter. And so having said, yep, got those, I'm all over it, the man says to Jesus, what do I still lack? What's my life missing that's keeping me from the life of the kingdom? And this conversation reveals something about this man's heart. It exposes something about his idolatry. Uh, It's probably not actually that he was idolising his many possessions, all the things that we're told that he owned, Uh, In fact, it was probably that he was idolising all that comes with having possessions, Uh, the relative ease and comfort of life, the status and respect afforded to the wealthy by those who want to be in their good books. Uh, Products, as we've seen, tell a story about us. Possessions signal something about who we are. And this man seems to be wanting to use his many possessions to tell a story of himself as a godly person, as someone who God has blessed as a real, proper member of God's people. Uh, And of course, it's pretty easy in many ways to appear godly, at least outwardly, when you've got the resources to cover over whatever it is that you lack. Uh, Jesus recognises that what this man wants is to be perfect in the sense of being complete and fulfilled. Uh, And this man seems to approach the question of perfection similarly to how he approaches his wealth. He wants to do good deeds, but kind of not to to be good in response to God's goodness, but instead to kind of collect good deeds, almost like products. Uh, it's, all, it's almost like you're saying to Jesus, tell me what good thing I need to do. I've got the resources to go out and do whatever it is that you ask of me. Uh, and uh, I'm going to finance some uh, big, grandiose, very public good deeds so I can build a bit of a legacy for myself. Uh, you can tell that, that, that he views doing good in the same way as having possessions when you notice again that wording of his follow-up question to Jesus. What do I still lack, he says. What is it that I haven't got? It's almost like he's saying, tell me what it is and I'll go down to the mall and I'll pick it up right now. I'll go and get it so that I can be perfect, so I can be complete. Jesus' answer to that question, what do I still lack? That answer that Jesus gives cuts straight to the heart. He says, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, then come and follow me. 
what is it that Jesus is saying that this man lacks? He says, what is it that I still lack? And Jesus' answer essentially is, what you lack is lack itself. This man has everything. He's got many possessions. He's got the life, the status, the identity that comes with it. The one thing that he doesn't have anything, that he doesn't have any of at all, is nothing. You see, for this man, having is what prevents him from seeing what he really needs, what he really desires, and that those things can't be attained by buying one more good deed, by getting another product off the shelf. Uh, The life of the kingdom isn't a set of products that falls into place if you simply complete all the right purchases. And this rich man, thinking of his life in the same terms as his possessions, thinks that you can just add one thing to another until you've arrived at the whole. But because he has everything, he can't see that actually the life of the kingdom can't be bought. It doesn't operate on the same terms. It belongs to a different story. And so what this conversation begins to open up for us is to show us that if you want real meaning, if you want to find fulfilment for your deepest needs and desires, then what you actually need in your life is more lack. Because in embracing lack, in learning to not have instead of having you'll actually find the space to see the story that God is telling, the space to see actually perhaps how it is that God is fulfilling that need and that desire in you even before you go out to the shops to fill it in for yourself. Uh, The scriptures are really clear that uh, wealth is a distraction, that possessions are a distraction. Uh, Jesus says that many times in the Gospels. Uh, And the thing is that our consumer culture cultivates distraction. Uh, It's the same spiritual dynamic actually that's at play in one of the Proverbs that we had read for us earlier. Uh, in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs uh, 30, verses 8 and 9, uh, we read, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that I need. Uh, why not poverty or riches? Because if I'm rich, I shall be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? If I'm poor, and I shall steal and profane the name of my God. You see, the, the scriptures make it clear, actually, too, that, uh, that poverty isn't a, a more spiritual state. Poverty presents a danger to us as well. It can tempt us to believe that God doesn't love us, that he doesn't have our best interests at heart, and therefore to take matters into our own hands. Wealth, on the other hand, uh, and to be honest, this is the situation for the vast majority, perhaps even all of us in this room, wealth can tempt us to believe that we don't need God that I've got it sorted, that I really am the master of my own life, that I really am telling my own story, that I'm competent to provide for my own needs and desires. And that's precisely what consumer culture invites you to do, to be the master of your own life by purchasing whatever story you choose. And in the process, our consumer culture, uh, overwhelmed by advertising, uh, drowns out everything that might compete for our hearts, including God. Advertising makes it hard, as we've seen, for us to pay attention to the task of following Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself, earlier in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, speaking about the dangers of wealth, uh, says that what we need to do is to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, he says, your needs and your desires, all these things will be given to you as well. Uh, What wealth does is make it harder for us to focus on God, to pay attention to him and to his ways. And our consumer culture presenting a product to meet every need and desire, just clouds our vision all the more. That's the problem that faces this young man. He wants the life of the kingdom. He wants to be a part of God's mission to remake the world, to rid it of sin and evil and suffering, to have what he calls here eternal life. Uh, And Jesus offers it to him. Jesus says, here it is. I'm going to make it real simple for you. All you need to do is sell your possessions, give to the poor and follow me. But instead of rejoicing, at being offered exactly the thing that he's asked for from Jesus. Instead of rejoicing, he's filled with grief. And Matthew tells us why very clearly, because he had many possessions. And the thought of parting with his wealth, the thought of parting with all it meant to him to have those possessions, to be a master of his own life in that way, to use them to tell a particular story about who he is, the thought of losing all of that was too much for him to bear, even though the life of the kingdom was on offer. His wealth filled his heart instead of the call of Jesus. It crowded out his, of his vision the satisfaction that Jesus offered, satisfaction that would last far longer than in any wealth could hope to. And you see, consumer culture can crowd our vision in the same way. It can keep us from seeing how God offers to satisfy our needs and desires by instead offering us a quick and easy way to fill up the lack that we feel. And so if you want to pay attention to God, if you want to seek satisfaction in him, what you need in your life is more lack. 
What you need is to embrace not having instead of having. What you need is to make space for God instead of filling it up with whatever products the advertisers can seduce and misdirect you to purchase. Uh, Jesus here isn't calling us simply to be better consumers, though that's actually an important thing to do out of love for God and his world. Jesus isn't calling us simply to be better consumers. He's calling us to make space for paying attention to the story that God is telling so that it might shape our lives more than the stories we hear from the world around us. Now, in a moment, I want to come back to this and to to really focus in on what that story is that God is telling and exactly how it's going to shape our hearts, both to be better consumers, but also to follow Jesus all the more closely. But before we do that, I want to actually stop uh, for a brief question time. Uh, And as I said before, um, I'm happy for any questions about anything we've kind of discussed so far. But I'd love as well for this to be an opportunity for us to share with each other, to encourage each other and spur one another on in the good deeds that God has given us to do. Uh, as actually you might have some particular things as you've sought to work against this kind of culture in your own life that you'd like to share as examples for us. So I'm going to open up the floor for you to do that. My phone number's there if you want to spam me or um, actually ask questions. It's good too if you don't want to stand up and do it. Um, But go for it. Questions, things that you'd like to share about how to work against this. Don't worry, I've got some suggestions for you if if no one else does. Ben. Yes, I think what you're asking, I'm not quite sure what your question is. I'm going to see if I can work it out as we speak. Um, the idea particularly of buying an identity, is that the... Yes, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a really, really helpful point. We're going to come back to it in just a moment, actually. But Ben's point is that uh, there are some ideas around about um, uh, not buying the latest thing, but the second latest thing or the third latest thing as a way of kind of working against consumerism. Um, not all that different to the whole idea of minimalism that's going around in some ways, that you kind of can declutter your life to some degree. Um, they're both good things, I think. They're both ways of going, I don't actually have to express myself by having the latest and the greatest. I don't have to have all the stuff in my house. But the question you've raised, actually, is whether or not that can be actually just as much a kind of consumerist um, mindset as buying the newest thing. The answer is yes, actually. It's really, and it's a really helpful point because uh, what Jesus wants to get at is our hearts. And what consumer culture wants to get at is also our hearts. But it wants our hearts to be based in uh, what it is that we buy in order to, to make a story for ourselves. And you can very easily decide, I'm not a consumerist because I'm buying the third latest version of something. And that be just as much about actually purchasing an identity for yourself, right? To go, I'm the person who's not the, the really hardcore, uh, really hardcore consumerist. Um, I'm actually, I'm much more righteous than that. I only buy the third latest thing. Now, that can be a good thing, but that can also still be going on in your heart. So that's why it can be so tricky. And our motives actually with these things are often very mixed, right? It's not actually a bad thing really in lots of ways that I buy a bunch of books. Like, that's actually a good thing. It's good to actually read and learn. And I'll get to most of them, some of them, sometime. Um, See, my motives are mixed with that, right? Actually, I want people to see how awesome I am from my book collection. But I also, actually, it's good to read and to learn. Um, And so that can be a real danger to look out for as we think about this kind of thing as well. Thanks. That's really helpful. Sabrina, stand up and loud voice for us. question. Great question. Uh, The short answer is no. Um, uh, There doesn't seem to be anywhere that I can see in the scriptures where Jesus or anyone else says, what I said to this guy here, that you have to go and sell everything and give to the poor, everyone should do that. 
that doesn't seem to be a kind of universal rule. It's because Jesus could see what was going on in this guy's heart and he knew that's what he needed to say to this guy to get him to really take seriously what following him would look like. Uh, you can be rich and be a Christian. There's no problem with that. But it prevent, presents very significant challenges, I think. Uh, because as the proverb that we read says, it makes it very, very easy for you to go, I don't really actually need God for all that much in my life. Um, so that's something to take very seriously, actually, the challenge that comes with that. It means cultivating real kind of generosity and thoughtfulness about that. Uh, and that's important, actually, and a good question for you to ask, because that's actually all of us in the room here. We're in the richest 1% of people who've ever lived in human history. Uh, and in probably the top 10 or 12% higher than actually probably the top 8 or 9% of wealthy people in the world. Uh, even to be on, uh, on welfare payments in Australia, you're richer than lots of people in our world. So actually that's a challenge that we need to hear, uh, is that uh, you can be rich and be a Christian, and that's us in this room, but you've got to be really, really careful that actually your response to that isn't to go, you know what, I, I just don't need God all that much, actually, which is very easy for us to do, because for most of us, there's not that much that goes wrong in our lives, and that's partially because we live in a really wealthy part of the world. Um, so very helpful question. Thank you. Thoughts, words of prophecy, you know, any of those things. Does anyone have particular things that, that they try to do in their own lives to try and work against this that they'd like to share? That would be really helpful for us, I think. You didn't think the internet could get any better, did you? But it can, and the way you can do it is by installing an ad blocker, which is what Nat's done. Um, uh, my wife, Alison, goes through periods, actually, of um, deciding to just take a break from Facebook and Instagram because it's just full of ads, and because the technology is so impressive these days, they can really target those ads right at you, and you see this stuff in the sidebar and go, yes, yes, I do want that. Do I have 800 bucks I can spend on a shoe or something? I don't know, she likes that kind of thing. Um, uh, so actually trying to, trying to avoid that, if you can, is a good thing. An ad blocker on your browser will, will be a helpful way to do that, um, to actually take little breaks from the kind of inundation of noise around you from the, the advertisers is a good thing. Miles. Yeah, sure. Good question. Budgeting is always a good thing. It's always a good thing, actually, to just be that little bit more thoughtful about the, to know what money actually you have uh, and to spend it wisely. Um, the, the challenge that I, that I, something I learned from my parents, actually, is um, budget and be okay if you've decided in your conscience as you've uh, prayed about it um, that you can spend what it is that you've decided to spend. That's not a problem. Um, but the challenge, I think, this is what my mum and dad do at the start of every year, is to sit down work out what your income's gonna be for the year and just try to increase the amount that you're giving each year. Try to increase the amount that you've put aside for showing hospitality to others, for helping out friends and family who are in need. To try and actually just kind of use it as a method, not just of going, uh, I know what I'm spending and where I'm spending it so I'm okay, but use it as a tool to actually keep growing in how you use your wealth for God, I think is a good thing. Mm. Tash. I'm a person of my word, so I'm going to spend what I said I would spend. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Essentially, you can 
just buy into the consumeristic mindset by displaying your lack for everyone, right? If you really wanted to, and just kind of be like, oh, look how much I lack. That's, it says something pretty great about who I am. Um, it's hard and tricky, right? It's, it's one of those things that, um, I remember hearing in a, a talk once about generosity, that generosity is like a muscle. Um, and I think cultivating lack is the same kind of thing, actually, that you get better at it over time. So it's about forming new habits in lots of ways, and I think trying to stretch yourself to actually uh, embrace more difficult lack as you go. Um, and it's, it's a hard thing, actually, um, to see, and you've got to do real hard work, I think, in your own heart to be honest and open with yourself as you ask God about it as well and ask him to speak to you about it, um, about whether or not your lack really is lack at all. Um, that's a tricky thing to cultivate. I don't have any easy answers for that, but I think it's pretty tricky to do. Did that actually speak to your question at all? I'm not really sure. Sure. Great. Yeah, great. It's a similar kind of point, actually, that Ben was raising before. Uh, is lack for the sake of it actually a helpful thing? Is that a spiritually useful thing? Uh, and the answer is, that for the sake of it, no. It's got to be about actually making space for love for God and love for neighbour, for paying attention to God. Um, if, if there's a way in which you can go without something so that it, it doesn't provide the distraction that it might otherwise provide, and instead you can concentrate on uh, God and the things of God, I think that's the way to kind of conceive of it and go about it, is... Uh, not lack so that you can just say, I didn't, didn't buy the new iPhone as soon as it came out. Um, it's actually the kind of lack of going, I, I might want that thing. I probably don't need that thing. I'm going to actually embrace the lack instead and use actually the resources that I might have used for that for something else. To actually use them in a way that pays greater attention to what God says about life in his world together. Um, so, and that's a, that's a tricky thing as well. It's easy, again, for it just to become a, oh yeah, I've tick, ticked that box now. Um, but what it needs to be actually is focused on how does this help me to make space for God and paying attention to him. Does that help more? No, great. Hmm. Uh, there's a, a question on my phone and a couple of texts that are not questions at all, but thank you all for it. That's really helpful. Uh, the question is, do you believe that uh, advertisers care about respecting consumers? Uh, for example, releasing the new Marvel Avengers film on Anzac Day. What a rotten thing to do. That's mean, isn't it? Because Anzac Day is special. Anyway, I, don't, I hadn't heard about that, about releasing the Marvel film on, uh, on Anzac Day. Um, and I don't really feel like I have a problem with that. Um, but where, whether or not uh, advertisers care about respecting consumers, um, I think it varies from advertiser to advertiser, actually. I suspect there are some who um, actually think that their product really is going to be beneficial for people and they market it in that way. Uh, and that's a really, really good thing. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, there are others, of course, who just know that they can pull the wool over people's eyes and, and convince them to buy something that they don't need and probably don't even want. Um, so I think it's a real mix. That's why it's important to know what it is that advertising is seeking to do so that you can actually kind of see that. It's a little bit like preparing for your HSC English exam. What's this text type of advertising? And how do we actually deconstruct that so that actually we can see what's being done to us? That's why that's so important. Because sometimes it'll be great. Sometimes it'll be a really useful, really helpful thing um, other times it won't be at all, and you've got to kind of work out how that's going on. Last one, if anyone has one more, and then we need to move on. Roscoe. Oh, danger. Pursuing financial independence as a way of embracing lack. Tell me more what you mean by that. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, why not? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so the question, if I've heard it right, is um, uh, what about trying to pursue financial independence as a way then of uh, embracing lack by not being kind of constrained and making space in that way in your life for not having to worry so much about um, your uh, employer's wishes perhaps or your parents' wishes if you're still dependent on your parents, that kind of thing. Is that getting at the, yep. Um, I think trying to be financially independent is, is totally fine and a good thing. It's part of adulting, actually. It's just kind of learning to look after your own needs in that way. Um, as long as you remember that uh, for two reasons, you are never actually ever financially independent. Um, one is that you have uh, responsibilities toward others, to your family, to your friends, to God's people. Uh, and so you will always be constrained if you're thinking thoughtfully as a Christian about uh, your wealth in the consumer culture by the needs of others around you in that way. Uh, and secondly, and more fundamentally, that actually um, your financial uh, well-being always comes from God, actually. Um, that it's always his doing, his gift. Uh, Jesus tells a parable about a guy who amassed all his wealth in his barns and then he uh, was told tomorrow night you're going to die. And the point of the parable is kind of, so, you know, what was the point of all that? You were financially independent, but then it all disappeared. Um, the story of Job in the Old Testament, who's this wealthy, wealthy man who then all of a sudden loses everything, it really actually does happen to people like that in life sometimes too. Your financial security always is actually in God's hands. So I think pursuing financial, uh, in, uh, financial independence um, is a good thing, a way of taking uh, responsibility for yourself and your life and enabling you to care for others as well. Um, but it's always got to be kept uh, in that bigger picture of my responsibilities to others and the, the gift, actually, that God gives of, of helping us out in that way. Does that help at all? Cool. Uh, well, we're going to uh, move on. I want to give you really quickly um, some of my tips for how you might actually uh, make space. And it's important to uh, note that these things are not just the kinds of stuff as we've talked about that you might tick that you might kind of tick the box and go oh yeah cool I've done that I'm a better consumer now um, this is stuff that hopefully helps you to actually make more space for hearing God's story actually for not being as uh, under the thumb of all the different stories that are given to us around the world so here you go uh, firstly remembering that things have stories um, as we uh, said earlier on, one of the ways that the story of consumerism uh, shapes you is by going, uh, the only story that matters is the story that I buy when I buy this product. Um, but actually the things that you find on shelves, the things you buy on the internet, uh, even, uh, even services that you consume, uh, are not uh, kind of just as they are, given as they are for you to use to make your story. They come from particular places, they're made by particular people. Uh, and so you need to do what you can to be aware of the stories of what it is that you buy. Uh, is it well made? Uh, were the workers well paid? Uh, there's a whole bunch of different guides you can use to help you with that. There's a great app called Shop Ethical. Uh, there's a, a guide to ethical fashion that Baptist World Aid puts together each year. There are ways in which you can actually become more aware of the stories of the products that you're buying as well. Uh, secondly, uh, the magic of the mute button uh, and or the ad blocker on the internet. Um, you don't have to listen, actually, to, to what the advertisers are trying to sell you. You don't have to do it. Turn them off. They won't know, and you won't have to listen to it. Do that. It's actually a really good thing. Uh, the thankfulness challenge. This is something that uh, uh, Alison and I, I think, stole from someone, but we try to do it from time to time to refresh ourselves a bit. Um, the idea is to try to go a whole day thanking God for everything that you interact with, every interaction you have, every kind of thought that you have. How can I be thankful to God about this? And to spend a whole day praying only prayers of thanksgiving. Not ask, don't ask for anything at all. Don't ask God to help you with that thing or to get you that thing. Prayers of thanksgiving only. Um, you can turn it into a game if you like. Alison likes to make it a competition. The person who's written down the most things they're thankful for at the end of the day wins. Anyway, I'm not sure that really helps, but you can make it fun like that if you want. Um, a shopping Sabbath. Uh, your day off is supposed to be a day off from stuff that's work-related. Uh, to a day to uh, actually spend time in community with others, to spend time actually engaging with God in a way that you can't in a regular work day. Um, so uh, instead of going to the shops in your rest time, uh, try to see shopping actually as a chore. Uh, it's not entertainment. It's not where you find your value. It's not where you work out what your life's going to be like. Um, so your day off doesn't include it. Just don't do it. Take a break from shopping. Uh, fifthly, uh, borrow, share, swap and repair. That's pretty straightforward. Um, you don't need to buy something new every time. In fact, the stuff you've got might be perfectly reasonable or you can uh, uh, swap with someone who's got another thing that you need. That's pretty straightforward, but a good way to get out of the consumerist mindset. Uh, local products and produce. Uh, because things have different stories, uh, there are things that are better and worse for God's world. 
Um, so how about you think about trying to source uh, food, trying to source um, all kinds of different stuff that you might buy from places that are made pretty close to home, actually, where they're not transported as far. That can be a really good thing, too. Uh, lastly, and I think this is um, maybe, for me at least, the most helpful one, um, the cooling off period. When you decide that you see something that you like and you want it, don't buy it straight away. Just give yourself, I don't know, two weeks? Is that too long? A week, maybe? A couple of days? Whatever it is that's going to make you stop and think about it. Uh, and, and see, actually, if at the end of that time you really actually do want or need the thing that you were going to buy in the first place. That can be a really helpful habit to begin to develop. And all of these, hopefully, are ways for you to actually make space, actually to stop kind of giving yourself to the story that you are the things that you buy uh, and instead make space for God's story to speak into your life. And so what I want to do as we uh, wrap up quickly now is to think about how it is that the gospel actually helps you to find blessing through the lack. That actually, as you uh, get into the habit of not having instead of having, you actually learn that there's blessing there from God. Uh, you see, being a more ethical consumer isn't enough because using ethical guidelines for your consumption can very easily be just another form of consumerism. Uh, your fair trade purchases are really just a way to buy yourself a story in which you're the ethical hero. Uh, instead, you need to have the whole outlook of your life changed. Uh, and seeking to change your purchasing habits is hard work. Uh, believe me, I know. I've been trying to do it for years with some success in some areas and less in other areas. Uh, seeking to be uh, ethical in our consumption is actually a way of embracing lack uh, because seeking to be better consumers will mean going without some things. It'll mean making more costly purchases of some things that you need. Uh, and these kinds of changes are good things. But they're only actually good things for your heart when they're secondary things. They're only good for your heart when they're expressions of love for God and for your neighbour, when they're responses to his grace and kindness to you, uh, when they take the form of a costly embrace of greater lack in your life so that the abundance of God might shine through all the more. Uh, so there's a, a couple who've just recently started coming to the 10am service who were telling me this morning, that thing that Jesus says to the young man, sell everything, give up, give up your possessions um, and follow me, um, we've kind of basically just done that. They hadn't quite done the same thing, but they've just moved from overseas uh, in, uh, in troubling circumstances and basically had to sell up shop. They sold their house. They gave away everything they could give away so they didn't have any attachments anymore in the country they came from and came here instead. That's hard. That's really, really hard. Most of us will never have to enter into that kind of lack, but it gives you a bit of a sense of actually how difficult this is. But you see, what they discovered, actually, is that through that forced experience of lack for them, uh, is that actually God's blessings became all the clearer. Because they saw that the needs they were worried about, the desires that they had, were actually fulfilled in new ways that God had planned for them that they never expected. They turned up here in Asheville. They randomly met some people here at church uh, who helped them find a place to stay, who let them come and use the, the church internet when they needed to transfer all their bank accounts from their other country to here. They found some degree of family and home that they were never expecting. You see, if you make space for God's story in your life, for the story that God tells, then that story actually will mean that you find blessing, perhaps more blessing than you ever expected. The disciples, in fact, Jesus' disciples, in the very next uh, passage that you read straight after this in the Gospels, say to Jesus, we gave up everything for you. And he says to them, yes, but actually you've given up everything for me and found homes, you've found family in a way that you never had before. We actually find blessing as we embrace lack as we make space for God's story to speak to our lives. And the story that God tells, the reason that this story will change not just how you consume, but change your heart as well, the story that God tells is that you're not fundamentally someone who makes purchases. Uh, you're fundamentally someone who has been purchased. You've been purchased by God. You've been made his special possession, a purchase that he made at great cost, that he made at a cost that you could never pay. In, God, uh, in Jesus Christ, God has purchased you with Jesus' own blood. Uh, as Jesus spoke with this young man who we meet in Matthew 19, he himself was preparing to give everything up, to sell everything, to shut up shop, so that you could have his life instead of death. He gave his blood, he gave his life, he embraced uh, lack, he embraced nothingness, he gave everything up so that you might have everything. You see, no purchase can possibly, make, uh, can possibly achieve uh, what God has achieved in purchasing you. 
God has freed you from the anxiety of having to come up with your own story and make it happen through purchases or whatever else. He's freed you from that by making you a part of his story through Jesus. As the Apostle Paul writes, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. That's how the gospel cuts across the grain of this consumer culture we find ourselves in, is that in Jesus, true riches and true redemption are found. Not in the purchases, not in the stories that are on display for you in the stores and on the websites. In Jesus, actually, you find your needs and your desires met and met fully. And that's a story that's worth doing hard work to make space for. And so I'm going to pray that God would help us to do exactly that. Heavenly Father, we live in a world that wants to sell us a product for every need, uh, that wants us to find ourselves through what we buy, to tell a story about ourselves through our purchases. And Heavenly Father, that's really hard to resist because it means we can be whoever we want to be, that we can remake ourselves, that we can show others who we are outwardly, even while we feel uh, the anxiety of all the choices before us inwardly. But we know that in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've freed us from the need to make all those kinds of purchases of Uh, of personhood, those purchases of identity, because you've purchased us in Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray that you drive deep into our hearts that good news that actually we've been freed by his blood, that you've made us yours, that you've made us a part of your story. And we pray that that would give us the courage and strength by your spirit to embrace lack, to actually not have stuff instead of having stuff, to go without the things that we feel like we want, perhaps even the things that we feel like we need, so that instead we might make space to hear your story again and again and have that be what shapes our hearts. We ask you to do this work in us so that we might be more and more the people who the Lord Jesus has remade us to be. And we ask this in his name. Amen.